0: Welcome to this week's edition of the Insights Podcast on the Acadia Broadcasting Network. I'm David Campbell.
1: And I'm Don Mills.
0: Don, this week we had an opportunity to continue our discussions on the forestry sector in Atlantic Canada. We are privileged to have back the CEO of uh, J.D. Irving Limited, Jim Irving. Uh, Now Jim, as people will remember, was the very first guest on this podcast when we started uh, over two years ago. Uh, and he's back to talk about some of the changes in New Brunswick, the new forestry plan put forward by the province and his, his vision for a healthy and, and, and successful uh, forest products industry in New Brunswick. I just want to say before I flip it to you that um, I was impressed by how, how, how personal he was this time, like talking about the history, his father, you know, his grandfather, the vision for, for multi-generational uh, uh, forest management and and the role of the forestry not only as an economic driver but but broadly in terms of recreation and fishing and hunting and and bird stock management and he talks about deer and moose so i you know really interesting conversation you know you wouldn't get this from a ceo of a forest products company that's based in other parts of the Canada or U.S. or the world, right? The, the fact that he's from here, his family's from here, committed to this community in this region, this province, I, I thought that personal side came out this time even more than last.
1: Yeah, I'm glad it did, David. You know, I've had the uh, the privilege of working uh, with uh, Jim Irving over many years. I've, I've seen his commitment to the province of New Brunswick and the forest industry up uh, front and personal. And, uh, it, it's completely authentic. Um, you know, uh, he's got the long view like his family has about the management of the forest, uh, in New Brunswick and the other places in which they, uh, they, they do uh, work. And, um, his commitment is around sustainability and protection of the forest. Uh, he, he has his, uh, you know, Casey Irving apparently uh, once said that uh, when they were asked about the forest operations, he said, what was his strategy? He said, we have a hundred year strategy. <laughs> you know, that's how that the organized, they have a long, they have the long view, not the short view. And I think that should give comfort to people in New Brunswick and other places where they do business that, you know, they're in it for the long term and for the benefit of everybody. Uh, and they people might not believe that, but I, I saw it firsthand. So, you know, uh, the forest practices that they have are are, are among the best uh, anywhere. They get certified by all, by all the obvious uh, organizations about their practices. They're audited uh, by third parties. Uh, they do a lot of uh, really important work. And, and by the way, you know, uh, I think Jim said that uh, JDI has currently 19,000 employees. And of that number, about a third are in the forest. Uh, woodlands section of their company. Well, not all those work in New Brunswick, but we know that in New Brunswick, uh, I think the number is there's 12,000 direct jobs, I believe, with forestry in New Brunswick. It's the largest forestry sector in Atlantic Canada by a good measure. It's really, really important. And there's some big players uh, outside of JDI, Uh, one a big company from uh, India that has uh, two of the uh, plants, uh, uh, in in New Brunswick. So, you know, very interesting conversation. And if people are concerned about, you know, are we cutting too many trees? Are we doing it the wrong way? Uh, this is a really insightful uh, conversation, uh, by one of the, you know, major players in the forest industry in our, in our region.
0: That's right. And I think they need to pay listeners should pay attention to this concept of an actively managed forest. Cause that's what the Irving companies are trying to do and other, other um, um, holders as well. Uh, And that's different from an old growth forest that you barely touch. Right. So there's, there's pros and cons to both, but I think there's, he makes a very strong case for the, this concept of an actively managed forest for the, for the forest that's not set aside. So there's a huge chunk of the forest that's set aside. It's not being cut at all. It's in parks, but even on the, even on the crown land, it's a a 30% is not, is now not, not even uh, cut at all. So we're talking about the areas, the, the the forest area that's actually cut. And the only other thing I would say, Don, before I flip it back to you, is it, it comes out very clear that the Irvings are one of the small players globally. Right. And they're competing in global markets for paper, for paper products, for pulp products. And they're competing with some giants. And so they have to be nimble. They have to be relentlessly focused on cost management. And other things to try and make sure that they can compete. They're in Walmart. I think he said they were in Costco. They're competing in some of these massive uh, sectors of the economy and winning. Uh, a, a little New Brunswick company. Now, it doesn't find they're not little here, but they're certainly little on the global scale. So I thought that's, uh, that was an important thing that came out in this conversation. Another thing that came out in the conversation is that, you know, they have the ability to invest, uh, and they've invested a lot
1: of money and continue to invest a lot of money in forestry operation. They just uh, built a a plant in Georgia uh, for close to a billion dollars, and, you know, the reception in Georgia was very different than the one that they have in their home province in terms of the investment they were really open and uh, welcome there uh, and that's interesting they also are the largest landowner in the state of Maine <laughs> you know like they, they have a lot of uh, investment outside the region and those actually create jobs in in um, in New Brunswick for sure as well so there's a lot of interesting angles uh, to this conversation and, and the one other thing I wanted to mention is that They've had a very really active reforestation program forever. Uh, they recently uh, achieved uh, uh, you know, a, a billion uh, trees planted. Uh, uh, that was a, only a couple of years ago. And, uh, you know, they have an active replanting program, both on their own land holdings and on Crown land. And, you know, so, uh, you know, New Brunswick is covered by, the. you might not know this, but New Brunswick is covered by 85% by forest. <laughs> That's a lot of trees. Um, it's, uh, I think, a couple billion trees. So um, it's got a lot of resources and, and, and it should last forever.
0: Look, I've mentioned it before on this podcast. You know, there's a, there's a little plaque on the western side. No, the eastern side of Prince Edward Island that says when the settlers arrived in PEI that the total island was forested. And it was great for agriculture. The soil was just great for agriculture. So they cut down the vast majority of the trees and they turned the land into agriculture. New Brunswick mm-hmm. did not do that for a variety of reasons. And so now you have companies, you know, working the forestry sector, the way that the ag sector has worked on PEI. You can either cut your trees right. down, turn your land into agriculture, or you can leave your trees and, and treat that sort of like a long-term agriculture, uh, right. only, you're, only you're harvesting every 40 years. So I think that's another thing that people need to understand, that that we're trying to get economic value out of our landmass so that we can afford public services and pay the proper taxes we need to pay for public services. And so this is one of those industries, as you indicated, that's extremely important to help us do that.
1: One, just one final question, I mean, uh, you know, I really like the fact that uh, that this is an integrated uh, company, uh, very different from other forestry companies. They not only, uh, you know, do the logging and the, you know, uh, uh, harvesting of the trees, but they, you know, they, they take them to, uh, you know, to the plants to be turned into pulp or, you know, tissue paper, Irving Tissue is a big player. Uh, uh, in terms of providing, uh, you know, those kinds of products, so uh, it, it's one of the only models uh, or few models in that sector where they're, you know, from the from growing the tree to making a consumer product, they do every part of that that whole
0: chain, and that's that's very impressive. So, without any further ado, here's our conversation with Jim Irving, CEO of JDI Limited.
1: Welcome back to the podcast, Jim.
2: Good, Don. Good morning. So,
1: you know, I think we'd like to start with a big picture question. I, you know, obviously, everybody's heard about uh, you know a, a JDI in one form or another. But can you give us a scope of your operations of the forestry side of the business? I mean, you know, you're 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 a big business. Uh, you're in multiple um, portions of the of the industry. Yeah, tell us about where you where you're operating, the kinds of uh, businesses uh, uh, that you're in in the forestry industry, and maybe some idea roughly of the number of people who are working for you at the, at the current moment.
2: Well, I tell you, just to put uh, JDI forest products business into, into context, we are about number one, it starts with timberland, and we're about the second or third largest timberland owner in North America. So we have a big timber base that's located heavily in Maine, New Brunswick and Nova Scotia. And that's the foundation of our, of our forestry business. And uh, we've had the timberland going back uh, for going back uh, 100 years almost uh, in the in the organization. So we've had a long time uh, tenure as landowners and managers. So out of that. And growing trees, you know, is only really good if you can get value out of them. If you can, if you can take that tree and add value to it in multiple products. So with that, we operate uh, 10 sawmills between New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, and Maine. We operate uh, uh, tissue plants in uh, Moncton and St. John and Fort Edward, New York, and Macon, Georgia, and Toronto. We'd have uh, We have our pulp mill here in St. John and a paper mill in St. John and corrugated medium plant, which is paper used for making boxes in in St. George, New Brunswick. And uh, through our affiliate there in Moncton, we we make boxes as well. So so that's the organization. And we'd have about probably, uh, we probably in the total forest products business that we'd have about 19,000 employees in total across the whole organization and uh and we probably have uh oh a third of them i suppose would be in the forest products business roughly you put them all together some in the u.s some in canada but that that's sort of the background but you know forest products is a globally competitive business and uh, we shouldn't be confused about that that's that's the real world and so we're you know competing primarily for new Brunswick. And, uh, and so, but New Brunswick as a province makes about half of 1% of the world's forest products. So to put it in context, it's a big world, very competitive world, and uh, we're about, uh, New Brunswick, half of 1%. So while someone might think, well, Irving, you're big in New Brunswick, where I can tell you, we're not very big at all in the, in the big scheme of things, when it comes to real competition.
0: Yeah. So I want, I want Mr. Irving, I wanted to ask you about that. So you do compete in global markets. You sell very little of your, uh, product in New Brunswick. So you're competing with global forestry giants around the world. W- what do you see going on right now with the forest product sector globally?
2: Well, you know, th- th- this is an important fact and we tell these facts to the government because government policy has a lot to do with the forest products business because like all natural resource businesses, it's, 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 federally or provincially, primarily provincially regulated in a lot of ways. But we produce enough toilet paper, as an example, in our Moncton plant alone to provide every house in New Brunswick uh, a year's supply in 45 days. You know, we'll, we'll, that's the, that doesn't, the, our lumber would take, uh, we could build all the houses in New Brunswick with our New Brunswick sawmills about 30 days or our, our magazine paper, whatnot, 12 and a half days or so. So we know those stats. And we say to the, everybody, look, we have to be competitive on a global basis. And if you're going to be a top supplier, which we are, and we're very proud of that, you know, as a company and our employees, you know, we're top supplier in Canada here to Costco, Loblaws, Walmart, and the tissue business, Home Depot in the lumber business, uh, L.L. Bean for all our catalogs, as an example, those things, those are coveted positions. If you're in, if you're in this business, those are the big buyers. But you've got to be first in quality, service, and price. And if you're not, uh, you're not going to be there. So so a very competitive business. And uh, But we're quite proud of the fact, you know, we're doing that for New Brunswick. 800,000 people, and it's a great value-added story. Tree to Walmart, all made in New Brunswick. Quite an accomplishment. It's good. Good story. And we've got great people to do it. So, but But it's a very competitive business. No question about it.
0: So, so I wanted to come back to this question about your size. So Don mentioned how you're a large company and of course, in the New Brunswick context, you are a large company, but can you give our listeners some sense of how you compare it to your competition? So some of the other big players in the, in the public paper and the forest products place around the world, who do you compete with and, and sort of where do you stand? Are you among the largest globally or are you sort of where, where do you stand globally?
2: No, we wouldn't globally. I mean, we would be a small player uh, on a global basis. The, the The other companies would have, in terms of tonnage of production, if you will, on the pulp business, I think the top two or three pulp people in Brazil uh, would make uh, they'd make about uh, twelve to thirteen million tons, the top two people out of a fifty million ton market or so and we would, we're, we're 350,000 tons trying to get to 500,000 tons in the pulp business, for example. And in Brazil, they'll grow a tree 60 feet tall in six years. So that's serious competition. Now, their fiber is not quite as good as ours, but it's competition. And so, no, we're not big. We're, we're maybe the uh, seventh largest lumber producer in Canada. Uh, we've got that way because some of the other ones have Quit or consolidated. So we, we sort of moved up the food chain there. Uh, and we're probably, a, you know, we probably produce about 25% or so of the magazine rate of paper used today because so many of our other competitors have stopped. And so we, we came up, the market shrunk. But but overall, we're a fairly small competitor, a small company, I should say, in the global scale of things.
1: Yeah. I just wanted to ask a, maybe a question that would help our listeners as well, Jim, about you know, the kinds of products that you're producing. Like you, obviously, you do lumber, you do pulp, you do paper, you do corrugated products. But can you give us a, sort of a, an idea of, of how much you produce in each one of those categories? Is that, is that possible?
2: Sure. Well, as I said, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll produce, uh, you know, on lumber, it's about 1.2 million board feet. I'm not sure that means a lot to most people. But the biggest people in the country, Canfor and West Fraser, for example, are Western Canadians they'll produce about 5 to 6 billion board feet. So we'd be, you know, 20% or so of of their size, and they'd be the biggest in the world. And we we produce about 1.2 million board feet in all our mills, Nova Scotia, Maine, and New Brunswick. Uh, Pulp, as I said, even if our, once our mills expanded at about 550,000 tons of pulp, that will be a competitive size pulp mill, but not big in the global context when you consider The folks, Susano and and the other folks in Brazil, would be producing, uh, as I said, uh, 8 to 10 million tons of pulp. So, uh, and we and corrugated medium for packaging, lumber, everybody understands that, I think. And uh, craft pulp, which is the base stock. Craft pulp, any piece of paper, whether it's toilet paper, copier paper, any piece of paper you have, primarily comes from craft pulp in one form or another. And so those, those are the primary products that we make.
1: Yeah. Uh, let's talk about your, 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 your products value chain, um, uh, especially in Atlantic Canada, because obviously you own, you, you own land. You use, you, you also cut timber from public land, um, you know, so you, you cut it, you, you process it, you turn it into products, you ship it the market and, and each, each part of that chain, you do yourself, including the transportation that, you know, that, that integration is, is, is that, is that not relatively rare in your business?
2: Oh, yes. And uh, I would say, as I mentioned, I think there's a couple of things. There's nobody in Canada that would start out with a tree as a timberland owner, uh, cut that, cut those trees, uh, turn them into, put them through a sawmill, make lumber, turn around and take the residual wood chips and make uh, pulp and then turn around and make that craft pulp into tissue. And, uh, that's, that's rare anywhere. We, we, we say it's roughly, we've added about 35 times the value to a standing tree by the time we're done putting the tissue on the consumer shelf. So we add a lot of value to it. And, uh, you know, it's a it's quite a accomplishment for all our employees and the men and women. We got a great group of you know folks with us, been with us a long time, and we've been in a lot of communities for a long time. We got places we've been for thirty, forty, fifty, eighty years. With mills and operations, great community support, good employees, and we're doing that from New Brunswick and. Of course, there's adjuncts to that. We're in the trucking business that is able to get the product to market or the railroad that we have and be Southern. All those things help make us more efficient. And, we're, you know, we're focused on efficiency, and by golly, we better be. We've got to be very productive and very efficient because the big guys, the really big guys, have scale. And, uh, and that's how economics work, and we never want to lose sight of that. So we have to be quite practical about our business. And, uh, you know, this is home for us and we're quite proud of that. We're New Brunswickers, Maritimers, and we are passionate about it. Probably do things sometimes that, you know, if you run a big public company, you couldn't get away with, it. you couldn't, you couldn't be planting as many trees or you couldn't be spending the kind of capital that today won't give you the return that you really should have, but over long-term will give you the return and we take a longer term view of that. So, uh, That's how we have to run the business that's how the business is successful and it's done okay over the years
1: now you you know you talked you talk about capital it's a capital intensive business obviously you're always you know investing in, in in that in your business you know you always have to keep things up to date in your pulp operations and your plants and those sort of things can you give the listeners an idea jim of how much you might invest annually. And and, and and let's just talk about the region initially, and then I want to talk about your investment outside the region.
2: Ooh, well, I tell you, we've spent, I know, because we were looking at it the other day, in our forest products business from 2014, uh, for about an eight-year period, we spent about $1.3, $1.4 billion in total capital and uh, upgrades and uh, ongoing maintenance expense uh, that was the amount and we're you know we've been in discussions here we're, we have got another major capital program underway at our pulp mill which is going to get us to a, a much more competitive size mill and that will be the total capital there depending on what inflation does to us over the life of this project and the life of the project should take another three or four years we'll it will spend somewhere between 1.5 billion 1.6 billion dollars so it's a lot of money it's a lot of money and, uh, but if we don't do it, we can't stay in business. That's the fundamental fact. So it's nobody in Canada would be spending that kind of money in the pulp business I, that I'm aware of. Uh, so it's a big commitment, uh, but we've been growing trees, you know, for over 60 years and, uh, we're, we want to make sure that we can use those trees in a, in a, in a proper manner and, and good business. And, uh, we have to have competitive assets. That's that's something we keep talking to the government about because this is we everybody has to understand that. It's uh, yes.
1: Yeah. yeah. You've also made some some significant investments outside Atlantic Canada. Can you just give us uh, an idea of let's you know, I know in the last 10 years, especially you've been very active outside. Can you tell us a little bit about some of that uh, capital uh, investment?
2: you know we, we've spent just a fair bit of money on we have a we have a tissue mill my brother rob looks after that the tissue business and we spent about a billion dollars in a place called macon georgia brand new green field operation two big modern tissue machines uh, a lot of product going to sam's club and uh the pulp goes from st john by rail down there and uh it's a very good operation And, uh, so it's a lot of money, but that's, it's a competitive size plant. And I can tell you people down there in Georgia, the governor, the mayor, I was there with Rob a couple of times, gee, they couldn't be more helpful in terms of, you know, what can we do to get the investment? And I think that today is quite important that governments keep that in mind because uh, somebody said, you know, uh, money, money goes where it's wanted, you know, and, uh, it's, it's a good to have a right environment to invest, and that's quite important. We keep that uh, everybody keep that in mind. So, so that that'd be the big one. We've spent other money and uh, a lot of money in Maine and our sawmills, but nowhere near the same amount of capital. But, uh, but certainly, uh, uh, and uh, other businesses in Nova Scotia, we've done. But I suppose between the sawmills uh, in Nova Scotia and Maine, uh, whatnot, there'd be uh, another. Uh, 70 60 to 70 million dollars, I suppose. And, uh, and then other you know the railroad to get road gets upgraded and so I, I suppose there would be a hundred million dollars over the last few years that uh, that go to keep those operations uh, up to date. It's a lot of capital, obviously. And,
1: and as you mentioned, you have you have the ability to decide where to invest that uh, capital. Yeah, j- just tell us a little bit about the differences between investing in in this region versus investing outside the region. What are what are the differences that you see?
2: Well, I, I, As I mentioned, you know, I, I take, you, you know, <clears throat> down in Georgia, which was a new experience for us, uh, they couldn't those folks couldn't be more welcoming and uh, and, you know, you, different locations have different approaches, I suppose, different governments. But here at home, I think we have to be very, uh, it's, I think sometimes it works to our disadvantage because we've been here for a long time, in, 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 say an example, in New, in New Brunswick. You know, someone said, so, well, Irving, you've been here a long time. You, you guys, uh, you're going you're gonna to look after yourself or whatever it's going to be and we say to the government you know the job is not to fight with the governments government because governments are people and a lot of people like to criticize governments and we can't go anywhere by criticizing we have to be constructive got to have the facts go to the governments and explain why we have to have policies that don't make us less competitive We, and it's a difficult thing you know we probably have more facts and figures and we do i would say than the government about forestry or the economics of investment and global competition. And we share that with the government uh, because uh, we, you know, we want them, everybody wants to be successful. This is home. And by golly, you know, good business does a lot of benefits, provides a lot of benefits to everybody in the province or the region. Mm -hmm. That's our our view of it. And, uh, you know, we're, we're not sitting in Mumbai or New York or Toronto clipping coupons and wondering what's going on. We're here and uh, we live it. And we work hard at it, my brother, my, uh, myself, my father, his father, and a great group of men and women, you know, a lot of people, and they're in, because they're interested. And it's exciting if you can compete uh, with what we call the big guys. And, uh, you know, that's our
0: job. Mm-hmm. Can I just ask you a follow-up question there? So you are a big player in New Brunswick, both on the Crown land and your, your, your own land holdings, but you're not the only player. Can you give us a sense of who else... Is in New Brunswick because, of course, the, the all of the players, uh, you know, need a competitive business environment. So, can you give our listeners just a quick sense of who else you mentioned Mumbai, but who else? Who else is actually uh, operating have, like, mills in the province? I you, you
2: have one of the biggest companies in the world, the Burla Group, own two pulp mills in New Brunswick, and uh, and uh, we had a good. We I, actually, uh, Jason Lemon Jelly vice president of woodlands and myself we had the meeting with them last saturday and we had a good conversation they were talking about investing in new brunswick the senior executives were here from mumbai and they were talking about investing and uh and the the chap said one of the chaps said to me he said you know capital has no passport that's how he phrased it and they go around and and they're big they're huge and but we're fortunate to have them in new brunswick they're providing great markets for hardwood primarily and that works for the wood, small woodlot owners. It works for the crown land. It works for all of us. And we're really, we're, we like to have uh, other big companies in the province. One time we had a number of them. We had consolidated bathers. We had an international paper. We had, uh, uh, we had Fraser, it was Fraser Companies in those days and uh, NACWIC. And the, the, in the, go back 30 years ago or, or more, uh I'd go to the meetings in Fredericton or wherever we were with my father, and uh, oh, and before yeah, you know, forty years ago, and we would have the presidents of all those companies would come to New Brunswick and they would meet with the premier, and they would talk about their investment plans and they would talk about growing wood and it was a serious discussion. and were very good discussions, and they would bring uh, a different perspective to New Brunswick because they had operations elsewhere, so that was very positive. and And today we've lost some of that, uh, but you've got ourselves. You've got uh, uh, Burla Group, or they have AV Cell and Nyquick. And then you have the folks in Edmondston who own what was today is Twin Rivers. They're primarily from New York, I believe. Uh, and they, they own the organization up there, and they have other mills around. But so you you, you there are other, lots of other people in the province. And then there's uh, some other sawmills that are owned by uh, folks from... Uh, West from Vancouver, they own a couple of sawmills in the North Shore, New Brunswick, and uh, and then one chap owns a mill in Plaster Rock, and he's in Quebec. So it's a mixture, uh, but I suppose you know we're, we're since we this is home and we're around it, we know perhaps a bit more about it than most of the other folks. So so we're
0: we're involved in it. So I just wanted to ask you about this new. Landmark forest strategy, of course. If anybody that's flown over to Brunswick knows we're primarily covered in forest. We, we're one of the most forested jurisdictions in all of North America. Some places like Pennsylvania have cut down a lot of their trees over the years and turned the land into agriculture. Um, so we take our forests seriously in this province. We spend three times as much as the national average on ATVs. We do lots of hunting and fishing. We do lots of recreation in our forests. So um, New Brunswick just announced this new strategy and they say it has something in it in there for everyone. I guess what I'd like to know and what our listeners would like to know is wh- where. what do you see in this strategy? What do you think of the strategy? Is it a good strategy? Are there areas that could be improved? Can you give us a little sense of how this new strategy aligns with your uh, plans to invest in New Brunswick?
2: Well, I, t- I tell you, I think, you know, to give... Uh, Minister Holland credit Uh, the Canadian objective. Ottawa's objective was to have 30% set aside by 2030. That was that's the target. He's achieved that now. Now he set his 30% aside uh, of the the, this is of the land base, the timber land base. Uh, Where we're working with his officials on is what 30% they set aside because normally you'd say, well, if you set aside 30% of the land set aside 30% of the inventory of trees. But we, we find when we add it all up, the 30% of the land they've, they've sort of cherry-picked, if you will, across the landscape, and they picked up all the big trees and all the best trees. So we find that 50% of our saw logs now, more or less, are, are tied up and restricted, the biggest and the best saw logs. So we're having some discussions with them because this is, this is uh, about this. Because it's not a, this is not a theoretical exercise. We have customers that expect a certain size of lumber. We have uh, logging costs that are based on a certain size of tree. We have sawmills that are that are organized for a certain size of tree. Capital is all in place, and so we say, look, we can we can do a lot here to accommodate the thirty uh, percent. Probably could even do a bit more if, if we wanted to count certain things that are not counted today. But on our own land, we'll count, we'll set aside about 20% of the land and about 20% of the timber, but we won't waste any of the timber. What troubles us is this. I guess you'd say that the waste. You you go and tie up all the old trees, big trees, and trees are like people. You know, I keep telling them, trees are like people. They get to a certain age, they die. They fall over, and, uh, you know, they emit carbon, which today nobody wants to do, but it's also a— it's a great source of fuel for fires, and you know, Nova Scotia got quite a lesson in that this year, and the rest of Canada, you know, as well. We're we're fortunate in the rusic knock on wood. We've had fires over the years, but very very little compared to the national average. But we we work at that. We take great care of our forest, and so we say to the government, look, anybody who's ever put a green stick of wood in the fireplace versus a dry stick of wood knows the difference how it's going to burn, and so we say save some old trees fine you want to study that save a few that's fine but the rest of it we shouldn't waste because that's that's new brunswick's capital that's new brunswick's asset and uh, we're always seem to be short of money in new brunswick to pay all the bills so let's not waste anything we wouldn't waste it on our own land i can tell you we would turn it into to revenue and make sure we meet all the but we got to make sure we meet all the environmental requirements and we're focused on that in a big way so, uh, so we're working with the government, it's, it's about, you know, it's a tough job being a government trying to balance all the requirements and we want to be constructive with the government on this, but we can't be theoretical about it. We can't, uh, some, uh, somebody might take a, you know, very a- theoretical or academic approach to it. And, uh, you put us out of business. They've done that in British Columbia. You know, it's unfortunate British Columbia has been one of the biggest forest products reducing regions in the world forever, for a long time, and today uh, they're, they used to produce about 18 billion board feet of lumber. That was about 2006, I believe, and today they're down to about 8 billion board feet, something like 50 percent reduction. And they used to make about 6 million tons of craft pulp. Now they're down to about 4 million tons, so which is a tragedy for Canada. But this tree, are other trees in British Columbia? Yes, but. You know, public policy, activism, other things. Uh, maybe the maybe the companies haven't been as aggressive as they should have been about protecting the forest. But they get up and move. Money got. They now they're they're those companies out there are bigger than ever. They're just not bigger than ever in British Columbia. They've gone to the southern U.S. or Europe. So, so when you ask, that's a bit of a complicated question, David, about the about the forest strategy. Uh, but we have to be very practical. Because at the end of a long day, we have to compete. And so yeah. that's what trying to encourage the government to take a closer look at, but we agree with them on the thirty percent set aside We say, yeah, no problem. We want to hold our head up. We want to be leaders on that. And I think, I think New Brunswick is, so uh, we, we, we got a few improvements to make there, but uh, we'll work at it with the government.
0: So just so for the listeners, so, so I'm clear, you're saying you totally agree with this notion of setting aside three out of every 10 acres of timber for not to be harvested not to be to to grow fully ne- never be used for harvest so it's fully set aside for conservation what you're saying though is that some of the land particularly on crown that is the best from a from a from a productivity perspective from a from a harvesting and from a use in the forest product sector is being locked up and you'd like to see some more flexibility around that is that a fair summarization
2: yeah, th- th- that's correct i mean would we lock up 30% on our own land no but this is public land and the public maybe's got a different view of this and we understand that uh but we shouldn't and you don't have to lock it can look you can lock up bogs which is a big bio, biodiversity uh, component in it or gullies where nobody can go or mountain where nobody goes but uh, uh should be very thoughtful about how we do that so we balance the environmental requirements and make sure we stay competitive and and uh, and, and business here so that's that can be done that can be done
0: so i like the analogy uh, between the forest and people and and sort of how we age and how things change although i would say my colleague don mills is kind of like an an old but very stately maple tree so so really (laughs) aging well so with that i'll I'll don i'll turn it back to you for the next question (laughs) Is he
2: That's is as sweet as maple syrup? Though I'm not sure, huh?
0: <laughs> <I'm> not, <laughs> sure no. not sure about that.
1: not sure about that. Yeah, so I uh, just wanted to, um, uh, I guess, just uh, talk a little bit about more about uh, uh, the issue of sustainability in your in your industry. I noticed that you you put out a report in 2021, um, uh, and 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 and. You talked about our business is growing sustainability. I know, uh, Jim, from some of the work that I've done with you in the past, that one of the biggest issues was educating the public about the forestry industry. There's a lot of misconceptions and myths about the uh, about the business. People worried that too many trees are being cut, and they weren't happy with the method of harvesting trees and and those sort of things. I, I just, I, I just want. Uh, want you to talk about what, what you're doing to ensure that um, New Brunswick will never run out of trees.
2: Well, look, the, you know, the environment, number one, big subject today for everybody. And well, it should be. So we, we you know, that's, that's no question about it. We're all living here and drinking the water and breathing the air. We've got to be right on top of the environment. We've been... We, we, say, we say to the government and we say to all our stakeholders, our employees, you know, we've got over about 200 professional forestry people with us. They're rangers or could be a master in forestry or forest range engineer or so on. So we've got a great group of people and they're very, they're quite proud of the environmental standards we set. You mentioned our ESG report. We put that out every year. And uh, you know, people like Walmart, Home Depot, LL Bean, whoever it might be, they want that information. They want to know that the vendors, the suppliers that they have, are world class. And we've got a great, uh, you know, presentation on that. And it's all third-party audited. KPMG does an audit, intensive audit, and, they, and there's a lot of uh, rigor that goes into that. So we have that. But more than that, you know. We're, we look after our own land and we try and manage the crown land the same way we manage our freehold land within the constraints that the government puts on us. But you know, we've been planting trees for a lot longer than the government, as an example. Uh, we've been planting trees back to the nineteen uh, late 1950s, started, grandfather and father. And we've got all the certifications you can get by third parties. The, the, global agencies, FSC and SFI, which are acronyms for the big global standard companies that measure everybody around the world. We have all the gold standards that we can have at FSC in Maine and SFI and the rest of the land. But beyond that, and I think this is quite important, you know, for, for over 25 years now, we have what we call the FRAC Committee. It's Forest Research Advisory Committee. And that is made up peer-reviewed of scientists. They come from UDM, University of Moncton, UNB, Laval, University of Maine. And they come every summer, have come for every summer. We put the seed money up to get them here. And we say, go to our most intensively managed timberlands, primarily, which is in northwestern provinces up in St. Leonard area. There's about 460,000 acres. And that's where we've been planting trees. And we've been cutting, clear-cutting, planting and we've been herbiciding for for that length of time. And you ask the questions, what are the questions of concern? And, you know, we've got, uh, going from memory here, we've got about, uh, we've had about, I think, uh, 50 scientific advisors over the years. And these are, you know, these are graduate students, uh, PhDs with their professors, or we've had 150 uh, projects, peer-reviewed science. This is peer-reviewed science over the years, not us, they go and they check it and double check it and do the research and uh, over 200 graduate students and about 10 university partners. So, because we say let's get the information, because anybody we, we we can make a statement, and we're we've got self, you know, regard to self-serving or we self-interest. So we say get the, answer those tough questions, look at it, and uh, so interesting interesting bit of information we keep telling that the government we keep sharing that with the government we say this is not about running away from things let's get the facts we can't have an intelligent conversation unless we have the facts and so we do that and uh but interesting information i was talking to our folks about the other day was bird population because that's a hot topic today birds what are the birds all doing and you know we've we've got uh, bird recorders we've been at it now for i think it's five years and we have bird recorders, and they look about the size of a bread box. And we, 100, 100, 125 of them. We move them around all summer long. They're battery operated in the forest, and they record all the bird sounds. And those bird sounds come back, and they're run through an algorithm. So all the types of the birds in the forest, and uh, that we should have. And on our uh, on our intensively managed land, we have about uh, a, a hundred and 78 out of 116 or about 67% of the birds that are found in New Brunswick. That's total birds. That could be, you know, the seagulls, to crows. I mean, it's everything. They're not all found in the woods, but other birds in New Brunswick, we've got uh, 67% or 78 out of the 116. And on the parks in New Brunswick, Funday National Park, Mount Carlton Parks, but they've never cut a tree uh, in a long, long time. They've got 65 out of the 116 birds or 50 or uh, about 56 percent so here we are intensively managed and we have a broader and richer diversity of birds than they do on the provincial or federal parks and we say to the government if you want to lock up timber if you want diversity then the reason we have the diversity is because we've got a very active forest very healthy forest we have young trees we have new trees we have old trees we have medium-aged trees all kinds of trees and it's just like a population in a community you have young people old people and uh, as i said like my back my example of the seniors home you don't have any any uh diversity in a seniors home you have a certain 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 profile but there's no diversity in a in large in certain aspects and that forests are no different than the population a lot of ways it's a dynamic thing it changes all the time and that's why we do the research because we don't want to say to anybody say look we got the answer and we stopped looking. The world's changing. We're, you know, we're planting trees now in sample plots down all the way down to Virginia, down to Massachusetts. We want to know how our spruce trees are going to survive in that type of climate. Because as the climate changes, what, what, what do we have to be thinking about? Mm-hmm. And uh, we're so we're looking ahead. And uh, so that's what we try and encourage the government to uh, pay attention about. We're, you know we have one of the there's ten sites across Canada where they test for water in 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 sort of a, in a natural habitat, New Brunswick. We're we're the beta site in in New Brunswick, uh, up in the Restigouche River, intensively logged, and that's just for water temperature and and turbidity and all those things that the scientists want to know about. We volunteer. We put our hand up. Say, boys, give it to us. We want to find out and get good information. So. So we're not stagnant about this. We have to be aggressive. And and primarily all this is funded by ourselves. And uh, big moose and deer studies, if I can tell you, this is moose tracking. Uh, collars on moose, GPS on moose. We've done it for years. Uh, After operate it, the collar stays on for three years. That falls off. We go pick up the collar and put it on another moose. But where do the moose and deer winter and, and, and uh, have... Uh, Deer yards and habitat and where do they spend the winter or the summer and so on our as we change with climate and, and Whatnot we have to have the facts and again, we put the money up to seed money invite uh, People to participate the universities of course do all the work And sometimes we get the government mm-hmm. over the years on our FRAC committee that sometimes they participate sometimes they don't but we're consistent about collecting data we're data Crazy to some extent. We want all that information so we can have the right discussions, and uh, and it's and it's working. And our and our employees get enthusiastic about it. Everybody likes to have you know, we're we're a numbers-driven organization. Like the facts, like the figures. What do we do? Are we improving? We've got to improve all the time, and, uh, and that's way it that works.
1: Just want to uh, uh, ask you another question in this regard. I mean, uh, you know. I've known the the work that you've done in the forestry side for a long time and a lot of people will be surprised by the more scientific approach that you take to forest management practices. Uh you know, you have your own uh, research on 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 tree development, I know, and the breeding of trees uh which is uh, to you know, to build uh, stronger, faster growing trees. Um, um you also as you've mentioned um um I've done a lot of replanting. I know that uh, for every tree cut, you uh, you replant three. Can you give us a little bit of background about that part of the operation, Jim? How many, for for an example, how many trees has the company replanted since it started replanting trees?
2: Well, we we celebrate our billionth tree planting about oh, three years ago, up in Sussex. If you drive by the Sussex Mill under Trans Canada, uh, you'll see a big stone. Karen there and and my father you know who's a he's a he's a without being a professional forester he's as good as any professional forester around and uh you know uh, he planted the tree and it was an exciting day for us because we had all our folks there across the company and it was the biggest tree we planted and um you know planting trees is a long-term project you know you know my grandfather started planting trees when he was 59, 58, 59, somewhere in there. So he was never going to see a lot of these trees uh, uh, really t- t- to in turn into the forest we have today, but you have to be committed and it's a long-term project. Uh, good thing about trees, good times or bad times, they keep growing. They'll keep growing. And, and you know, if you're, if you're in a business where you can take the tree and do something, Commercial with it, if you're if you're efficient, uh, it's a good it's a good way to grow the business. But the and so today our lab in Sussex, and this is this is to answer your question, we've uh, our lab will grow a spruce tree, and this is not genetic engineering. This is just selecting the best white spruce mother and the best white spruce father, and getting their progeny, and do the same and generational changes. grow about four times more volume in the same length of time as a natural forest so if the natural forest was you know 50 years or 30 years that tree those trees will produce about four times the volume on an acre of land which is really you know it's now it takes a long time your money's in the ground for a long time before you get a return and that's the that's the tough part of it but we're planting trees we grow a tree that's much better and if you went to the lab today you'd go in there you would think we're trying to cure cancer bright lights white coats robots sterile environment on part of it you know really and and we got patents on on uh, budworm uh, resistant trees we got patents on a couple of other things and we're working with the people in Europe on robots to further enhance our our, our cost you know, reduce our cost on, on the production of trees. So it's, it's exciting. I mean, if you, you know, if you come to New Brunswick, if you flew over New Brunswick in an airplane, uh, you know, at about 1200 feet, it's 88, you know, 85% covered in trees, about 17 million acres and about 85% covered trees. There's enormous amount of trees. That's all we have. That's the good news we have. That's, we don't have many competitive advantages here, but we do grow a lot of wood and can grow a lot of wood. So we we need to be thinking about that. Is how do we generate more revenue for the whole province. So no, the lab, we're excited about that and all that scientific work. Uh, It's really quite, uh, we're coming from New Brunswick, you know, we're not the, geez, we, there's not a lot of, you know, leverage here in terms of a lot of other, you know, lift. It's all our money, our capital, but that's, you know, when you're a private company and you're committed to something, you know, you tend to take a longer-term view of the return, and that's how we have to look at that. Uh, so, and we and we enjoy it. We enjoy being with the but, people, and we enjoy going to the woods and looking.
1: Jim, wasn't that your grandfather Casey who who said when somebody asked him about his business philosophy, he said, "We have a hundred-year vision." Wasn't that your grandfather who said that?
2: Yeah, well, oh, he could have he could have he said that. He, he'd be he'd he'd say. Hundred years, but boys, you're just getting started. You better look a little bit farther than that. You know, he he was a he was a long term. Uh, you know, like to look ahead, but you know when you enjoy <laughs> something, and, and we enjoy the forest, enjoy all the businesses, but forest products, I would say, is a, a special place because we've all been around it, and uh, and you know it's great when uh, when we have the facts and you go look at it. it's one of those businesses that you can go. It's very tangible. You go and look. You go and walk in the woods or you go and drive around. or You fly over, meet people and talk. And everybody, we come, we get visitors from all around the world, Scandinavia and U.S. And uh, they all come and they they all go away. If they're skeptics when they come, uh, they go away with a different point of view. Because it it sells. People like to look at, you know, something. People know what good looks like when they see it. They might not understand all the pieces, but they know what good looks like most people. And, uh, and that's, that's quite important.
1: You also mentioned uh, just one other question. That's a follow-up that you had 200 forest uh, professionals working for you. I know you have biologists and you have wildlife specialists, people who are, who uh, you know, are specialists about water and that sort of thing. Uh, You know, you, you protect the wildlife habitats and waterways, and, and that's been part of your forest management practices, right? For a long time.
2: Yep. That, that's that's right I mean as I mentioned you know we do all that work with tracking of deer and moose and uh, and and do a lot of those things as I say for a couple of reasons one is we want to know if we're doing the right thing and uh we're trying to understand climate change what's that going to do and uh and then we can have the right conversation because there's lots of there's critics out there today whether you know uh, whether they're you know, and it's good if people is criticizing. If they got concerns, we should be able to address them. And sometimes, you know, if somebody has a criticism, it makes you think. And you know, con- constructive criticism, that's great all day long. We want to learn, and we have to because we want to. We got to keep up. And it also provides the government uh, with a good set of facts, if they you know to look at and to understand. And uh, so, we, we but uh, we. Uh, we think you know we're 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 trying to do the right thing every day, you know. Uh, you know we got into things like uh, well, it's pest management and and so on and fires. We mentioned that a little bit. You know, as an organization, we've got we've got uh, four what we call fixed wing, four water bombers, if you will, two helicopters, and a spotter plane, and uh, seven airstrips, all at our own expense. And that's all summer long. They're there with pilots, mechanics, and someone says fire. We go fast, and we put the fire out. And those airstrips all got fuel. And they've got fire retardant and water, and uh, you know we'll have uh, we've got about uh three hundred I think 360,000 feet of fire hose and thirty five fire trucks, and uh, and so on. So we're we're well organized. So and that's about looking after our asset looking after our timberland. And uh, we don't want to see in New Brunswick what's going on in parts of Nova Scotia or Ontario or, or Quebec, I should say, and British Columbia. Boy, that's a terrible loss of, uh, of, of capital and, uh, and jobs. So,
0: I, I just think our listeners should understand the importance of that long-term view. There's an old National Film Board uh, documentary. I don't know if you remember this, uh, um, and you're in it, and I think it's with your grandfather, it's like 50 years ago, so you're a very young man, and you're in the forest looking at the trees, and, uh, and here we are, something like 50 years later, and you're, you're having the same sort of vision for the future uh, of the forestry industry in the province. So that long-term view, I think, is, is, is incredibly important because it means economic value for communities throughout the generations, not just in, in a short term until, until an industry turns and then you have to start over. So I think that's really good. I just wanted to ask you, there seems to be lots of deer and moose around. Do you have any, any numbers or any thoughts on, on the, on the deer and moose population these days? Well,
2: well, I tell you, you know, it's very interesting and we, you know, we put all kinds of stats together because we want to talk to, you know, what we, we, we talk to a lot of people, our folks, you know, we're, We'll go and talk to Fishing Claim Club in Chipman, or or the, the down in Sackville, or wherever it might be, or the ATV ears, or and so on. And you know, in, ni- in from the 1930s to the 1960s, you went to jail if you shot a moose. It was illegal. No moose. And today, today there's five. Last year there was like five thousand permits issued to shoot moose. Lots of moose. And and that we and we take a little bit of the credit for that you know good forestry as, as, as we say you know back to a diverse forestry a w- healthy well-managed forest has lots of benefits lots of moose you go to nova scotia they're always struggling to find moose down there it's always a big there's demonstrations and there's this and that about moose in nova scotia we think you know with a different type of forestry regime you might have more moose. but we got them in new brunswick got all kinds of deer populations up bird population we got lots of facts around that uh, so a diverse but well-managed, healthy forest, just like a healthy population, you're much more productive. And uh, you've got to be healthy to be productive. And that's, that's what this is all about, as far as we're concerned. So no, it's, it's exciting to see all that happen.
0: And we, so we just have a couple more questions for you, Mr. Irving. The first one is, the last time you were on the Insights podcast, we talked about your workforce needs and some of your concerns and, and, and the ways you were sort of leaning into new avenues such as hiring uh, international folks with the increase in immigration and other recruitment efforts. And, uh, you know, and we, we, we see some of the signage as we drive down the highway. Are you feeling good about your workforce these days? You talked earlier about 19,000 staff. You must be facing many of the challenges that other employers are facing in terms of the aging workforce. So where are you today on, on, uh, on addressing your workforce? Uh,
2: uh, on that one, we're feeling much better. We have worked closely with the federal government over the last couple of years, and and uh, to get the coming into New Brunswick, well the Maritimes, uh, to get some regulation changed. And we we put a group together. We took the initiative and we got a hold of McCain's Cook Aquaculture, uh, Westco, the, uh, the folks are in the, the poultry business in northwestern New Brunswick, and uh, and the folks at uh, uh, let me see. Who else do we have here? We had it was six, it was six of us anyway. And uh, Norm Casey up at uh, up in Rishabak doing his metal fabrication operation. So, and we went to the federal government. And said, "Look, let's let us bring the people in because we were we were hung up on language was a big deal, and you had to basically get high school equivalency. This wasn't about temporary foreign workers. This was about getting people to come here, and put their roots down, bring their wife and their children." Make New Brunswick home, And to do all that, you had to pass a pretty rigorous English language, almost a high school equivalency. And we said, look, what we've got, the arrangement we've got now with the federal government, if they come and after three years, if we can make an attestation, we can, we can state that they can work safely and productively, that that qualifies them to, to, for the, all of the, the process so they can become Canadian citizens whether it's a landed immigrant or, or or some type of Canadian citizen. So, with that in mind, our, we're bringing more people in all the time. I mean, it's expensive to bring them in, but they come with a good work ethic. They want to work. We've got a lot of—our loggers today are coming from Brazil. Truckers have come out of Central Europe, uh, Ukraine or Poland or some other jurisdiction. Uh, our tree planters are coming out of Mexico. Now, they're temporary foreign workers. They come for the summer, seasonal workers. But, and we're seeing great uptick. You know, it's interesting. You go to rural New Brunswick, go someplace like Chipman, small community, 15, 2000, 1,500, 2,000 people. Now we have people, you know, all around, different ethnic backgrounds, different color, different race, but everybody's getting along. They're learning how to shoot moose or play hockey or whatever's going on. And uh, it's a great thing. The church is full. School's full uh we're 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 we're, we have a program now we're on about building homes and apartments and homes and rural new brunswick as you're aware uh the housing crisis is big everywhere but particularly in rural areas housing stock is depleted run down and the banks don't particularly want to invest in uh in these market where there's no liquidity there's no market Uh, so we've had to work with uh, we've worked now we've got a, a program working with the federal government the provincial government about how we fund some of the infrastructure costs because housing costs are very expensive. And uh, so we were feeling much better about that. But we said, told the management, all our folks, we said, look, let's stop moaning about no labor. Stop that. we got to figure our own problem out, figure the answer to the problem. Okay, the world's a big place. There's almost 9 billion people in the world. Go get a few of them and bring them here. And make it happen and stop complaining about it, deal with it. And so that's what we're doing. And it's okay knock on wood it's good but but this is important for the government's government policy is very important as you know you know whether it's immigration and whether it's on housing government has a role to play and so does business we we say to the government you know don't just hand out money you can put up some money but make sure that the, if you're going to give it to a, an employer in a community he's got to have some skin in the game he's got to he's got to step up we step up we put up so many dollars to help build the house and or, or get the immigration thing done. So it's got to be a partnership between the feds, the province, uh, and, the, and the employer. We just don't say to the government, you put up all the money, because that you know what happens on that. Money gets wasted and everything else. So we, uh, we have to be on top of it. But it's coming better. You ask good questions. It's coming better all the time.
1: I just want to follow that up, uh, Jim. The last time we talked to you was about two years ago, if you can believe it. And you gave us at that time um, sort of your uh, labor needs estimates for the, for the you know the coming three years. Uh, can you update us on the on the number of people that that you're looking to hire at at your various operations?
2: I haven't got the number rate right on the end of my at my fingertips. Uh, we're we're you know it's probably uh, you have got normal sort of turnover, um, right and and that which is one thing and then you've got growth and uh but i i would think we'll we'll probably have to be hiring some uh you know three thousand or so a year looking ahead we're gonna we're gonna hire quite a few more permanent employees at the shipyard in halifax uh and if we want to talk about permanent employees you know there'll probably be uh i would say you know a couple of thousand more permanent employees and then you have some seasonal turnover uh but uh, it seems like employment, hiring people locally, is getting better too. That seems to be the the fever seems to have broken there a little bit right now. I don't know what's changed, whether it's interest rates or the economy. Uh, but local people we're, were noticing that it's a bit easier to get local folks. But uh, but uh, no, we're we're fine. We're dealing with the labor thing. I mean, we're, we're, the big thing is now is inflation. And how do we have, you know, there's wage pressure. And uh, a lot of these businesses, we're, we're a price taker. We can't pass on the cost. You have to absorb that cost. And so it gets back to efficiency uh, on your operations uh, because you got to look after people. you got to do the best you can to make sure we keep up with wages on inflation. Uh, but I tell you, just as an aside to that, we've been talking to the federal government for some time. About accelerated depreciation, which you know may sound like a bit of a dull subject, but it's to us it's very important. If right now, if you spend a dollar uh, on modernizing your plant or processing uh, capital, uh, you can de- you can take that depreciation 100% in the year that it starts up, versus 30% declining balance. It might take you six or seven or eight years to get all that uh, cost uh, off your tax bill. So. It reduces today with inflation costs, and we've got carbon tax, uh, you know, which is a big competitive disadvantage if we don't mitigate it somehow. And we say to the federal government, we should do everything we can to mitigate it. And uh, so that means you may put more modern equipment in, or, or something change, maybe do away with a boiler that's not really uh, gone its useful life, but you've got to change the process if we can. Keep that accelerated depreciation in place for an extended period of time for another five years let's say right now they want to start to wind it down at the end of 23. and uh, we say to the government you should be more you should be very careful about that they've got it extended the the uh, biden government has got that out to on their new inflation reduction plan very very running it out, they have it in the US and they're gonna keep it going for a while. And we think we should do the same thing in Canada. So I'm giving you a long answer to the employment situation, but we've got to deal with inflation. We've got to deal with the energy uh, carbon tax cost. We've got to mitigate it. And capital is about the best way, one of the best ways to do it. And we think we'd encourage the federal government to do that. I think that's quite important.
1: Final question, uh, you know, um, uh, just want your views about what you what you feel, what you're feeling about the region and where it's going, Jim. Um, um, Two years since our last conversation, are you more optimistic than or less optimistic than the word than you were the last time we talked?
2: Oh, no, I'm optimistic. I think I tell you, we have a great uh, population growth. This population growth has been a wonderful thing. You go to Nova Scotia, they're up to a million people. You know, we talked to the Premier over there. I think he wants to go to two million people, you know, population. And you in New Brunswick, we're up to eight hundred thousand or eight hundred and twenty or so, or something like that, which is a big step up. And uh, you know, the island is up and populated, Prince Edward Island. So I think this is a, this is a great thing on all kinds of levels. We're getting people here; who they bring different skills, and obviously, they they bring talents, and it drives demand and housing and economic activity. So no, I'm I'm optimistic. I think. The thing we have to watch for is there's enormous amount of government regulation today, and that's not to be hard on the governments, but we with federal, provincial, there's enormous amount of regulation, and we have to watch that we don't get overcome by it. Uh, people have we have to be responsible, do do things right, get that, but it's it's quite uh, complicated today to get to be able to get things done, all type for all types of regulatory reasons. And, uh, And I know the regulations got put in place because maybe somebody did a poor job on something, and there's a reason for that. But I would say that's the thing we have to watch out for because at the end of a long day, as we talked about earlier, you have to be competitive. Nobody wants to talk about competitive too much in government or efficient. Those are not words that are government words, particularly. But I can tell you, out in the real world, where we live all day long, it's hardball business. And if you're gonna be, as we said, gonna wanna supply Walmart or Home Depot and be a primary supplier you better be good and if you're not you're gone and so that's that's the reality of that so that would be the only thing but other than that we're optimistic we're enthusiastic and things are rolling got to keep it that way well
1: jim listen i'd like to thank you for coming back on the uh Insights podcast to tell us about uh, your forestry operation. Uh, it, you know, we've been doing a series, as you may know, on forestry in Atlantic Canada. Sometimes people don't understand the value of this uh, industry and what it what it means to the region. So, um, this uh, this conversation has been very helpful. And um, and thanks for telling us that story. And and you know, by the way, you continue to be the highest rated podcast we've ever done. So maybe we can break the record this time. <laughs> so uh, we'll see.
2: It has got to be the interviewers because it's not me, I'm sure. So it's you give credit to you. But, but you're doing you're doing good work getting talking to maritimers about what makes things tick. Very much.
0: You've been listening to the Insights Podcast from the Acadia Broadcasting Corporation. Follow the show and listen to past episodes on your favorite podcast platform, like Apple or Spotify. If you've enjoyed the show, why not recommend it to a friend? Don and David will be back next week with another deep dive into some key issues in Atlanta, Canada.